Language Talk is a series of podcasts of interest to world language educators across the nation seeking information about issues relevant to teaching and learning of world languages. Each month, we'll be talking to educators, researchers, or advocates for world language learning. Language Talk is a partnership between the Kentucky World Language Association Board and the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Kentucky, designed to showcase the importance of global citizenship. Welcome to Language Talk KWLA. This is your host, Laura Roche Youngworth, and today's podcast is a little different. It's our roundtable. Inspired by the rich conversations that always occur after the mic has been turned off and our podcast guests stay and chat about the topics or anything else that comes up, we decided to make this roundtable session in which it's unrehearsed, the guests have no clue what questions they're going to be asked, and they're just going to share their thoughts with the listeners. So joining me today are three wonderful guests. I'm very excited. We have all females in the booth. I'm not sure if we've had that happen before. And I uh, want to introduce each one and let them say hello to you. Our first one is our producer, Jean-Marie Rouillet-Willoughby, professor of Russian and folklore at the University of Kentucky and chair of the Modern and Classical Languages, Cultures, and Literatures Department. As always, it's a pleasure to see you, Jean-Marie. Always good to be here, Laura. And next, we have Jackie Van Houten who is World Language Specialist for Jefferson County Public Schools in Louisville, Kentucky, and former ACTFL President and World Language Consultant for the Kentucky Department of Education. Greetings, Jackie. Hi, Laura. It's wonderful to be here today to talk with you and and everybody. Thank you for driving from Louisville. We greatly appreciate you coming to the blue country. (laughs) And finally, we have Brenna Bird, who is Assistant Professor of German at the University of Kentucky, Director of Beginning German in the Department of Modern and Classical Languages, Cultures, and Literature, at UK and also was 2017 finalist for Actful Teacher of the Year. She tied for second. It's a pleasure to have you again on our podcast, Brenna. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, I'm excited. The roundtable is always my favorite. And like I said, it's just when the mic goes off, we've had the best conversations with people. And this is our way to kind of let the listeners know and in on all that. So I want to go over the ground rules with you. And the ground rules are very simple. Stay somewhat on topic and speak your mind. That's all I ask. Okay. Is everybody good with that? Yeah. Okay. So our format will be, uh, we're going to start with something that I like to call the think tank. And you're going to have topics thrown at you. There's three major categories of the topics or the questions. One of them is world language profession. The second one will be instructional practices. And the third one will be professional learning. So now you all know, you didn't know before, what we were going to discuss. If you all could see them all thinking right now, (laughs) it's really wonderful. When we get done with the think tank, then we'll go into the lightning round where you're going to give your two cents worth real quickly with no discussion. I'll just throw a topic at you and you got to speak your mind for 30 seconds or less. Okay, so any questions? No. No. Okay, we're going to begin then. Let's start with an icebreaker so you get a little comfortable with this and the listeners get to know you a little bit. So if you don't mind and you all decide what order you want to do this, give us a greeting in your world language of preference so people kind of associate what language with each of you. And uh, so for me, I would say bonjour. And then give two to three highlights of your career that have really shaped who you are today as an educator. Mm, everybody's thinking. Mm, okay. Anybody want to go first? Hmm. 
I shall then to break this okay, ice. Please. I'll say <laughs> bonjour, and I'm going to do highlights that are more current. Um, I would say becoming a district level support uh, for world languages has really shaped uh, my thinking the last two years. It's been major, that change. And I'm probably going to say being in the Teacher of the Year uh, competition, because uh, it lasts forever, um, and I say that with love, it really makes you think about who you are, fine-tune what you do, and try to collaborate with others. So it really impacted me because of those. So that's what I would share for me. So anybody want to start? I'll go, ahead go next. Thank you, Jackie. <laughs> Bonjour encore, uh, de ma part. Um, and I would take a couple, from my first experience teaching, shaped me because that was at a, um, a Catholic girls' school in an urban setting that after I'd been there for four years, closed. So mm. it was, uh, but it was very open education. Uh, we did not give grades. We gave feedback to students. Um, we had students create the day once a week of what they wanted to learn. And it shaped me for um, a real personalized, student-centered approach to teaching. Then I think, uh, Working at the Kentucky Department of Education gave me a, a broader scope, an understanding of, um, of language learning in general, not just my language, and the effect um, that policy can have on teachers in the classroom as well as um, principals, um, parents, uh, how it, it allows everyone to have a voice, but yet voices aren't always heard and what you have to do to advocate. And then finally, the ACFL presidency experience gave me that national perspective um, and showed me how different things can be and how the same things are across all classrooms in, in the nation. Amazing. And internationally as well. That's wonderful. You want to go next, Brenna? Sure. Um, uh, guten Tag. Um, I think that there are, it's hard to pick just two um, because I feel kind of like each day in in teaching um, in training graduate students is kind of the every ever the the feedback that I get from graduate students is always a it's a it's a continuous learning process and it continually changes me. But if I had to pick two events that really changed me, um, the first one is a, a workshop that I got to do in um, at Georgetown University with. Um, it was through AATG, and we got to learn about the Georgetown method. I dragged my colleague Jeff Rogers along with me. I made him go, and he, of course, enjoyed it. But um, it was specifically on literacy and um, how to change your curriculum to to use more authentic texts in an authentic manner, but also to advocate uh, within the classroom for the kind of common core skills that educators say that undergraduates should have and how to reinterpret our learning goals to be more in line with that. Um, it was it was a fantastic experience. It was a it was a full like three days of a workshops um, and we stayed uh, we stayed there um, in uh, DC and uh, met with other educators. I also did a lot of networking. It was great. I got to meet other German professors and K through 12 teachers from around the country. 
Um, and I've still kept in touch with them. And we presented at Actful the following year on everything that we had done since then, what kinds of things that we'd worked on. And that really, um, it made me see, so it was specifically on genre and how genre studies in literacy studies um, have changed certain approaches to how we teach texts and how we think about texts. And um, what I then focused on was thinking about social media as a genre and a text. And so my, my presentation the next year was, at Actful was uh, on Twitter and Instagram and thinking of them as texts, as genres that, uh, that have rules that you have to learn. And if you've never been on Twitter, then you don't know what the rules are. Um, and that these things could be broken down into small, um, discrete tasks and thinking about the kind of language, et cetera, et cetera, developing vocabulary lists, all of those things. Um, and so that really affected the way I thought about curriculum. And that also really pushed me to change the curriculum at University of Kentucky um, and go away from certain textbooks. At that point, it just became a, oh, why are we doing this? Um, and so that's really pushed me, my curriculum. Um, but also, I would have to say the other event really is the Teacher of the Year process. Um, up until that point, I hadn't really thought of myself as... I hadn't thought of my role as a mentor for the language learning community outside of my graduate students. Um, I would often do things. I, I, I always like to help people. I'm always going in to help my colleagues with whatever it is. They'll come and ask me for tech support, whatever, um, uh, ideas for curriculum. And I always love doing that. But I never really thought of myself as a leader or as a mentor for other people. Um, and that was, that was just a kind of a wake-up call about what I could do and what I could share, what kind of knowledge I could share with others. And I didn't, it made me rethink what the purpose of conferences was. Um, I, I used to think you go to a conference, you put it on your CV, um, and it's about putting it into, it's about you getting feedback. And then I, I really changed the way I thought about it and said, no, 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 it's about me sharing what I have learned with others who don't have that opportunity, who don't have the opportunity to do as much research all the time because they're not teaching these pedagogy classes and they're not working with graduate students on what is interesting to them because I get so much, I get so many ideas from graduate students who want to pursue something. And uh, Twitter was from a graduate student, um, Anna Sparks, and she said, I really want to look into this. I said, let's do it. And so then I do a lot of research with them and I get all these ideas. And so now I'm rethinking that of, okay, when what can I share? What can I work? Uh, what can I do with other people? And so I, I am hoping to go to Actful, uh, to present at Actful um, this fall on a, a collaborative thing that um, I'm working with uh, another colleague and somebody in uh, K through 12, Lucas Gravitt. So we're trying to then do more to help teachers in K through 12 develop unit units for teachers who can use that, um, who don't have the access to and the time to redesign units. Well, thank you, um, Jean Marie. You? Здравствуйте. It's pretty easy uh, for me. The first class I ever taught, um, I spent my entire career saying, my entire career before I became a teacher, saying I don't want to be a teacher. So then I got offered a job as a teacher. Um, and my husband was um, still finishing his degree, so I took it. And within two weeks, I knew that uh, this was fate. And they taught me more about teaching than I think I had ever learned at that point. Uh, the second step was uh, choosing not to do literature in graduate school, but to do linguistics. 
uh, because it taught me how the brain works, how language is acquired, and how we need to understand these processes in order to be effective teachers. And during grad school, my first actful proficiency workshop which completely changed. Oh, yeah. Those two pieces (laughs) coming together Mm -hmm. at the same moment, understanding language acquisition in the brain and understanding um, the proficiency movement uh, made me rethink everything that I had been doing up until that point. So those are my moments. Thank you all for sharing. So we are ready to get started. The ice is broken. Everybody's ready? Okay, so think tank time, world language profession is the overall topic. Question one is world language advocacy. So today's political environment, and again, we're not going to get political. Today's political environment, both at the state and national level, has created an interesting climate. That's what I'm going to call it. An interesting climate that at times seems to leave out the need for our graduating students to even know another language. What are your all's thoughts? Doesn't matter what the climate is politically, you you can take it from whichever side um, is in the power-making side. Um, You just have to find out what interests those people and play the benefits of language toward that because there are so many benefits of language learning. Um, You know, you can take it from an economic standpoint, you can take it from an academic standpoint, you can take it from the cognitive approach, um, you can take it from building relationships. Uh, You know, you just, I think you have to look at what the political views of the people making the decisions are and what their personal experiences are and use those toward shaping your argument, but never letting the argument drop. If it drops, if it's not in the people's thought process, if it's not in the conversation, then it won't be included. I yeah, it's that absolutely true. I mean, we're constantly uh, uh, looking for the opportunity to convey what we do and why it's important. Um, and if we don't each take those moments, whether you're talking to people in power or whether you're talking to your neighbor who says, wow, why do all these people need to know all these languages? You know, English is our language. Then you... You're missing. You're missing the window into mm-hmm. making sure that this is not an add-on. It's never been an add-on, and it shouldn't be an add-on, even if people say it is. And it's an attitude. I mean, you take that yeah. attitude that yep. it, it, it. Of course, it's necessary. Not, right. not. Please let's get it in. But it is necessary, so we have to advocate for it. And and you have to take every opportunity. If you let it go. No one else will pick it up. Right. And so if you're not used to advocating, get in there and start learning how to do it. Because if we don't fight for it, it will be lost. Yeah, and I think one of the things um, that I really learned at that workshop, like I said, Heidi Burns talked about how you, you use the same language as uh, the those in power, mm-hmm. whether that's politicians or um or uh, university administrators, um, because essentially, I mean, you know, the things that they want students to be able to do, critical thinking skills, Mm -hmm. uh, communication skills, uh, soft skills, all of those things are things that you do in the language classroom. And you can just change the way that you stress the learning outcomes to make sure that the learning outcomes use the same kind of language 
um, that describe what the students will be able to do so that an administrator also sees the benefit because it might not be obvious to them. A lot of people still don't understand what it is we do in the language right. classroom. They think we just sit around and conjugate verbs. And, um, <laughs> you know, and so and that's that's unfortunate. And uh, that's one of the things is also to be very vocal and to show people what it is you're doing in the in the classroom mm -hmm. to be to do as much PR as you can on those things that show students who are excelling at communication skills presentation skills um, even media skills editing um, anything like that that shows them uh, striving and doing amazing things that you would want a future employee to mm -hmm. have um, are ways to be uh, an activist from within the classroom, even if you don't. Because I think a lot of people think of activism as specifically like calling your your representatives and they're right. like, I can't do that, I'm too shy or whatever. And it's like there's a lot of ways to be an advocate. There's a lot of mm -hmm. ways to be an activist. And I think one of the things is to just make sure that you understand and you reframe your learning outcomes in for exactly like what you said, Jackie, with the, the whatever it is, whoever is in power at that time, whoever is whatever the political views are of the time, you frame your learning outcomes to meet those goals, those expectations. One thing I'd like to help teachers see is the need for more language teachers to take administrative roles to seek those roles as, as administrators because it's the decision makers who shape what happens True. at the institution um, that shape the possibilities or the limitations. And I know a lot of language teachers are so in love with the language and the culture, myself included, that you don't want to give it up. That you don't leave, yeah. But <laughs> it, you, you, you are sometimes better off of taking the opportunity of getting your principalship or you becoming a college administrator so that you can help the field in general and more people have that opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, on that subject, I'm going to move on to question two because it all ties in. So we're still on world language profession. Question two, though, is something that's very near and dear to my heart. And Jackie, I remember distinctly the day you told me about it, and it's the seal of literacy. And you were going on and on and on, and then I went on and on and on <laughs> about it. I mean, I just, I love the seal. So this question comes from our world language state consultant, Alfonso de Torres Nunes. I asked him to give me a question to throw at you all, hmm. and this is the one he threw. A bill is being proposed at the national level to provide support for states who offer the seal of biliteracy. Mm -hmm. Now, whether this bill passes or not, who knows, right? So how can we take advantage of this bill to really spread the word of world languages? Any thoughts on that? Well, I think whether it passes or not, the fact that there is a bill communicates mm -hmm. the importance and that people think this is a good thing. Um, it will, anytime you get um, legislation, people start thinking that there's a significant amount of people who agree or disagree with it. And um, I think that the more you can, the more PR we can do for this bill to vote for it or against it, or no, of course vote for it, but um, you know, to, to the more PR we can do for it, the more we can tell people about it, the more people will think, wow, people are taking language learning and biliteracy uh, seriously enough that you know this is an actual goal that, that my politicians might be interested in. So it's gonna, if we get more people in the community, um, even just to know about this, right? Um, to uh, have a conversation with, um, I think, 
Ying Jin just talked to some politicians in D.C. about, I think, wasn't it about the seal by literacy? I don't know. Self? She did. I would assume she did. I think she uh-huh. did. And Ying so, Jin, the teacher of the year. Teacher yeah, the year. yeah, yeah. Sorry, actual teacher of the year. Um, mm-hmm. I think she just did that. Um, and you know, just her having that conversation, usually politicians will then talk to other people about, well, mm-hmm. I just had this conversation mm-hmm. with so-and-so. Um, but uh, ta- us talking about that, mm-hmm. the fact that she went and did this this conversation um, on social media, whatever, on this podcast, uh, <laughs> is, the, yeah, getting the, the, the word the out. The thing is, too, the moment it becomes a, po- a talking point that there is a bill proposed. Mm-hmm. Don't wait until you see whether it's passed or, or doesn't isn't passed. Start as soon as it's proposed, referring to it as the syllabi literacy bill that's up before Congress. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's when you start that conversation and you promote it as that because people oftentimes don't really listen um, to whether or not it is passed. The mm-hmm. fact that it is a bill suggests that it is important. Yes, and and you focus in on that and, and you know use it as much as you can. It's also a potential threat. So that's a moment of education, mm-hmm. because what will happen is the um, uh, vernacular belief that doing two languages hurts your native language, that English is going to suffer uh, across the country if there are speakers of more than one language, uh, is constantly in the back of some people's minds, and you need to combat it, and mm-hmm. you need to take the moment to show the opposite is true, that a second language strengthens your native language that you have better cognitive skills, that a language that is still primary in education persists regardless of how many languages are spoken around it. People don't think about those factors, it, but it's our job as language professionals to point mm-hmm. out that these are the, these are the facts of the case um, and there's research to back it up. And, and to mention that this is not just us learning us as English speakers learning another language. Yep. It is those who speak another language perfecting their English exactly. as well. Yeah. Right. Well, I love your answers. Let's move to question three. Teacher recruitment. Mm. Okay. So how can we go about building the number of students, whether it be high school or college, wishing to become world language educators? So not just educators, world language educators. What can we do to help them, you know, go through this process, be the best they can do, be, and my goal would always be not to just have somebody apply for every job, but have a multitude of, you know, there's so many applicants that the best teacher's chosen, not just the breathing individual who applies, you know, hey, we had an applicant for the position. That's not our goal. Our goal is to always get the best educators. So what are your all's thoughts on how we can uh, go about teacher recruitment for world languages? That's a very good question. Um, well, it's thank challenging you. Today yeah. in general. Yeah, it's challenging to convince people to be teachers right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, uh, and I not think knowing where education is going, right. in the structure of schools. Right. I think um, one thing, well, one idea that um, I've been talking about with Laura actually is um, doing a kind of a. a a taste, giving students, advanced students, a taste of what it is to teach. We've been thinking about, this is something that I did when I was an undergrad um, at UT Austin, is I uh, took a class where I learned a little bit about teaching, and I went to three different sixth grade classrooms, and I taught German um, as for course credit. 
And that gave me an idea of, well, actually, I kind of like this. This is fun. So then I applied for grad school. <laughs> and um, and that's what I'd like to develop here is is something where we can, um, and a lot of places have this. It's, it's a, if the student is not really sure what to do, then they can have this opportunity to see what is it really like without having, uh, without being scared that, you know, going completely into the field without not without knowing, so they get this little taste in this kind of in this safe environment. Um, there will be another teacher in the room; they're not alone with right, the students. Right. Um, and that sometimes can spur them on to say, "You know what? I really loved this." It also might make sure that we don't have people who wouldn't like teaching. Um, right. You know, so that can also because we have teacher burnout is is a real thing, and a lot of times people have an idealization of what teaching might be, um, and get burnt out and leave uh, because they're they're really not they don't really understand. A lot of times that's just support. So that my my second thing would be finding ways to support new teachers so that they don't get overwhelmed Absolutely. with uh, classroom management, with uh, developing materials, with um, you know just and support systems, making sure they know about the different uh, local organizations that can help them with extra training, extra ideas, just somebody to, to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think these are all uh, both both ways. Trying to get people interested by showing them, you know, look, this is kind of fun. Wouldn't you like to do this? You get to share your love of the language and the culture with students. You also get to affect people and and um, see watch people succeed and and affect lives in positive ways. And then also give them the tools so that they don't get burnt out and that they actually um, can continue on. I think those are two important parts. Yeah, um, I've been asked to go into um, a, a University of Louisville classroom, uh, a capstone for uh, for French students uh, that Dr. Wendy Yoder teaches, and talk about the profession, talk about the teaching profession. She has, you know, a variety of people from different professions, but I think that's important, too, at the college level. Uh, when you have people who are, are language majors, they may not want necessarily to be teachers, but they don't know what their options are for using the language. Uh, in a career, and they need to know that this is one of them, and it's a great career. And there, there's a need. People think mm-hmm. that there's a, a glut. There's not mm-hmm. a glut of teachers, certainly not a glut of great ones. Uh, and if they're being well-prepared and you're mentoring them from the time they're undergraduates for this profession, rather than, well, this is a fallback. Mm-hmm. It's not a fallback. This, as Brenna just said, changes people's lives in fundamental ways, you have to understand what the responsibilities are and what the joys are and what the stresses are of doing that job. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't, I think, talk it up enough as teachers ourselves to our students. I think we need to be careful, too, though, um, in how we tell them what teaching is about because the teaching profession, schooling, education in general is changing so much and so rapidly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's not a traditional stand in front of the classroom yeah. and deliver, uh, you know, words of wisdom. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's how do you take um, students' interest and knowledge and help them, enable them to build upon it and follow their own learning and chart their own progress. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's not presented to people uh, mm-hmm. when they're thinking about being mm-hmm. teachers. They're using an old model. Yep. So, and, and using what you talked about with social media. You know, how, how does that come into play? How does technology mm-hmm. come into play with language learning? And how can that be uh, a teaching tool so it's not the traditional approach to teaching that we've always mm-hmm. known? Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest characteristics one would want to look for in a teacher is, is creativity. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, if, if you ask me what's the one thing, it's that. And it just really speaks to what you just said because mm-hmm. you got to continually be evolving yeah. to be relevant. Mm-hmm. But, um, okay, I'm switching gears. We're going to instructional practices. Mm-hmm. Question four. Topic is proficiency-based instruction. What is proficiency-based instruction? How would you describe it? And maybe to a non-world language educator. Ah, that's always the challenge, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I think the can-do statements really help with that. Um, if you think about an old, the old model um, of instruction, the idea was uh, first I do the nouns. Then I do the verbs. <laughs> then I do with the nouns. I do the cases. With the you know you do this kind of, I you measured your progress by the grammar that you had covered and the vocabulary lists that you had memorized. Can we scream on the podcast? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yes. uh, you know that was and you know sometimes sometimes we still do that with with uh, ancient languages. If you're going to learn Hittite, uh, often that's that's how the books are. So. Um, the proficiency-based approach is something, and I like the word proficiency-based because I think communicative got, uh, the word communicative kind of got away from um, its original mm-hmm. wants, desires, um, plans. Less of the science. Yeah, and proficiency is, is this concept that there are certain things that you learn how to say when to say them, when not to say them, and tasks that you can do. So you can, and that's why I like the can-do statements, things like you can go into a grocery store and buy a certain amount of items and then uh, in the the buying process, you know, you can understand when somebody tells you how much they cost and you can give them the money um, you can find the names of things. So it's, it's about things that you can actually do. Um, and that's in a concrete sense, but in a more, you know, an abstract sense. Um, I can tell somebody what I did on my summer vacation and I can understand what someone else did on their summer vacation. Um, and it's this focus on things that you can actually do and you also know, but then also the, the pragmatics, the social um, the social relevance, the context of these things goes into that about knowing when to say what. And then even deeper is the cultural knowledge, knowing why. Why it is that people say it this way and, and not. What is the history behind this? Um, I think those are the, that's the proficiency-based approach is this idea that you are proficient you're in different levels. Like um, That's the other thing, the idea of, goes against the idea of fluency. You, you're never just fluent. You're, you are at different levels. You're at this level. You're at getting better. Maybe you go down after. You can you communicate, know. but you can exactly. maybe just do it in words or phrases. Right. Or maybe you can really expound on something, you know, really expand that from the sentence level to you can talk in paragraphs and exactly. be very descriptive or, or imply certain things. I mean, there are certain skills of communication which come with those levels, like mm-hmm. you said. Um, also, that you mentioned a lot about understanding the culture and the whys, um, that intercultural relationship. Um, you know, developing relationships is the social aspect of communication. And we, if we focus on the old school approach, we lose that. So we, we need to think of communication with a purpose that is authentic and real world and that takes us into developing understandings of p- with people. 
Um, not just communicating what we're thinking about, but thinking about what the other person is thinking about and making it comprehensible to them from their cultural perspective mm -hmm. and, and hopefully building cultural empathy that yeah. takes us on um, a, an intercultural journey that leaves the classroom and goes with us throughout life. Yeah. In my linguistics uh, side, um, I teach a semantics class, and one of the things that I ask them to think about, which they're often not happy about, <laughs> is what is the point of language? These are linguists who think language is the coolest thing on the face of the earth, and I agree with them on that, but if you think language is a structural system, you approach the answers to questions in linguistics, and I would argue in how to teach it, one way. Mm -hmm. If you think language is a communicative system, you approach it another way. Oh, interesting. If you mm -hmm. think language is a social negoti negotiation system, mm -hmm. you approach it in a third way. And in my view, I've evolved over the years to what mm -hmm. I think language is. <laughs> um, it's primarily the latter. Mm -hmm. It is a way to negotiate relationships. It doesn't really matter what you are saying. We often don't say what we mean. Oh, yeah. And people read it, nevertheless, and they know why we're doing it. That is a skill that is remarkably complicated in your native language, because you know there are people who are not good at that in their mm -hmm. native languages. Um, <clears throat> and then you're adding a layer upon top of it of another culture and another set of vocabulary words and another set of concepts of the world and all of these but other things. Don't you things. think it's, it's not just a skill, it's a mindset? Yes. Because there are plenty of people who I don't think really want to be right. at that level. They don't want to think of it necessarily as a relationship. They want to yeah. think of it as just communicating their own ideas. Yes. Yeah. Well, especially in, yeah, yeah. And I think it, it, it is really, it's something I, I like to, I like to talk to them about is um, I play uh, when I'm teaching that. Uh, um, <clears throat> we call this, you know, language that just for the purpose of communication is called phatic communication. And it's, uh, I play the old Budweiser commercial where the guys get on the phone, they go, what's up? And then the other guy goes, what's up? And they keep saying it over and over. And I'm like, okay, so what was communicated here? <laughs> what was the, what, what did they say? What's up? Like, what is, what is, they're just acknowledging, hey, you're my friend. I see you. It's nice to talk to you. I'm just, I'm picking up the phone just to say hi. It's this kind of thing. It's like, what is the, what is the purpose of language here? What are we doing? You know, and, and that kind of, they go, we, we, oh, Okay, and like, yeah, that's why it's so hard. And it's like different, like different cultures have different communicative strategies. And I was like, in American, we often say, hey, how's it going? And then we keep walking. We don't answer. <laughs> we just say, hey, how's it going? You know, and, and the other person might, might nod and be like, good. Doesn't matter if it's good or not. You just say that. And that breaks down when you go to Germany. <laughs> yeah. So Many places it breaks down. Yeah. So this idea that, you know, there, there are multi, there are multiple layers to language, I think is, yeah, um, really part of the proficiency, the, the, the proficient in cultural communication and understanding how to communicate and why. Well, I'm going to challenge us there a little bit because I agree with everything you've said, uh, but we've all spoken about things that are pretty high level. And mm -hmm. what you're talking about suggests that there may be some English use in the classroom for an authentic purpose. Oh, that's a linguistics class. A Sorry. Linguistics <laughs> class. Okay. Yeah, we use it in MCO 100, which is the course that we call the, inter the world of language. Okay. So it's all of our language majors together in an English language course 
doing discussions based on the languages they study. It's basically, yeah. If you're a language major, then uh-huh. you should take this course so okay. you understand. It's not in the language course. Yeah, not no, in the nonetheless, language. I think that there, but there that's are another times. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Where you when say, we do this. Yeah, yeah. You, you, they look at, they say, well, that's crazy. And then you have an English example ready? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, they don't <laughs> and, and, but, but we're talking instructional practices. So what does that say about that 90% plus use of the target yeah. language? Well, that was some, I mean, we have to think yeah. about this, you know, because people in the classroom question this all the time. And yeah. getting to that high level of intercultural understanding. Uh, you know, if we try to teach too much too soon, you get into too much English. Yep. So let me yeah. slide into the next question because you're going there and it's oh, awesome. Okay. Classroom practices. Mm-hmm. So if we we feel like we have some sort of understanding, it seems like there's agreement on proficiency base what that means. So what does that look like in a classroom? So how would you describe to a principal or someone, you know, walking by, what should they be seeing in the room? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I, I want to go back to this, this 90%. Um, I went to a talk at SCULT um, uh, in Atlanta. Um, uh, that For those not aware, uh, not who don't know. You're it, not going to say it, are you? Southern Conference on Language No, we, we were in that session together. I know what you're going to say. The teaching of what? languages. No, I, I What were you going to say about 90%? Yeah, so yeah. I went to, you, you don't want me to say it? No, I do. Okay. I, I, this is uh, hilarious. I went to, you're going to say it. Yeah, so I went to, I, I was, uh, well, I'd read this before, but I thought it was really cool that they just owned, owned yeah. it. Uh, Marty Abbott and um, Allie Muller were talking about the 90%, and they're like, what mm-hmm. do you think? How did we come up with this, these numbers? <laughs> and everybody's like, hmm, it must be research. But oh, I was just like, we no. made them up. Yeah. We made them up. We just picked a number. Um, and I knew this, but I loved watching everybody. I didn't know faces. it. I was so shocked by that. Yeah, well, it's I I read <laughs> stuff by by yeah. So I was like, oh, that's really funny. Um, because I've read some stuff where people are owning it, and um, there's a couple a couple uh people that um research articles that again I do for my graduate mm-hmm. students. So I read the stuff and I go, oh wow, really? Um, how do I defend it then? <laughs> and so uh, basically. The idea is best practices. Um, what is it that you're using English for? Mm-hmm. If you could say it in the language, if it's uh, is something that the students already have learned or should be able to, kind of everyday conversational phrases, uh, the things that you're actually working on in the language, then yes, you need to stay in the language. Um, if you want them to, and there's a lot of stuff you can do while staying in the language. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Allie did a, a, a demonstration where she went through an entire story about a mouse that wants the cheese, blah, blah, blah. And every, we had all kinds of people in the audience who didn't know any German. Mm-hmm. And she described it, and everybody got the story. There was mm-hmm. lots of pictures. Mm-hmm. She did yeah. lots of uh, um, pantomimes. And she said, look how much you can do. She said, however, for that, intercultural communication, for the understanding, for the abstract stuff, maybe at that point you might need to go into English. And I know that, you know, there are a lot of people that argue for that. Uh, Janet Swaffer and Richard Kern, they all argue that for this abstract stuff, it seems that we need to first address it in the first language, the L1, before we can understand it in the L2. Um, and so what, so different people have strategies mm-hmm. for that. And so it's, well, what, is that in the classroom? Do you need to stop and do something in the classroom? Will it keep students motivated on task? If you need to stop and say, well, actually, you have to do it this way. Boom. Or as so. we suggested with the can-do statements and the reflective piece that you mm-hmm. you introduce uh, an idea in the target language culturally related in the classroom. And then you send the learners home yeah. to do a reflective yeah. piece on yeah. their own in their mm-hmm. native language where they can th- think deeply about it. Yeah. Yes. And then bring it back the next day in class. 
class for practical application using more language and getting to parts of it. Yeah. But again, I think it's we're, we're, we're always struggling with this because as a nation, we don't have an articulated language system. We don't start learning in elementary, continue in middle, mm-hmm. and build up through high. And if we did that, we could start that language so that we could reach that intercultural thought process much yeah. sooner. Yes. We're always trying to introduce it as a beginning student in high school. And you can't. You can't yeah. introduce it in the language. You have to use English. So we have to compromise. Do you want them to use the language and learn the language as much as they can because you're the only person that's going to give them that opportunity to do that in the classroom? Or do you help them build the intercultural relationship, which other teachers in that in that school or institution should be taking responsibility for as well, but yes. may not be, and take away from the language learning? Uh, it, or somewhere yeah. in the middle. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's something we're trying actually this year is the reflective journaling at home. Uh-huh. Um, and it's actually been very eye-opening. I've found that um, some students, even on topics where I think they would be able to communicate, I'll ask them ahead of time, you know, what they, you know, their ideas and their opinions. Mm-hmm. And I'll find, so like one of the things that was supposed to be, you know, what can you do in Lexington? And when I would ask this in the classroom, of course, in German, you know, you'd get kind of blank stares previous years and mm-hmm. maybe one or two people would say, well, I found out from the homework assignment, I asked them, so what are the th- kinds of things that you can do? Most of the students don't do anything. One girl said, I don't know. I never leave my dorm. Mm-hmm. And I went, wow, okay, so if you don't know what to do in English... How can you accomplish this in the second language? So the reflective Mm -hmm. journaling has been really reflective journaling that the teachers can then see um, to brainstorm about stuff really, really is helpful for us Mm -hmm. to kind of get everybody on the same page. And I think you can have a happy medium. I think that, you know, if you're still aiming for that 90 percent, I think that, uh, you know, you, you get rid of people getting into bad habits and I think that's really it's just a gut feeling from experienced teachers that you know when you've spoken too much English in a class because the students it may be a gut feeling now but when I think when that 90% was brought up there wasn't a gut feeling it was a lot of English and and people like to be quantified definitely so so it was given a number as a suggestion Okay, which is a good suggestion because you don't learn your native language without being immersed Mm -hmm. pretty much 100% of the time. But the other um, issue that I've I've grappled with over the years is adding a culture book in English, but with Russian in it. I Mm -hmm. teach Russian. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't mean culture like let's talk about Tchaikovsky culture. It's what are the holidays? Mm -hmm. What do dates look like? How do you celebrate a birthday? Do you bring flowers or not when you go visit? Those kind of things that you need to know, cultural minutes that are important. This is a great book, uh, particularly because it has Russian in it so they can learn new words. And what I would do is once a unit, have them uh, do a little bit of additional research on one of the topics in the book that they were interested in and give a little report. Yes, it meant on that particular day there was more English in class than there would have been. But it gave them the chance to be, and I think we underestimate this in the role of motivation, it gave them a chance to be articulate adults who actually have thoughts that go beyond, hello, I would like two pieces of chicken and potatoes, please, right? I mean, they, they are really intelligent, motivated to do this, but they sometimes also need a little bit of a pause that gives them a moment to be themselves. I, I think you can do an awful lot of that, though, in the target language. I'm wondering if part of this is I'm hearing a, a 
and no offense, a university lens. Oh, that's what I was Versus younger learners. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm listening and mm-hmm. I'm agreeing with what they're saying and I'm imagining my son, you know, in your class. He wouldn't want to do this in English uh, if he didn't have the language skills maybe doing French and so on. Where if you look at you're teaching K through 12, sure. it might be, you know, there might be two different viewpoints here on the 90%. Yeah, I think... very intriguing. I, I think that's also a very important uh, point that we, we really, I mean, we need to think of the K through 16 articulation, but I think that also in the university, um, I have witnessed a lot of students are very uncomfortable going back to a beginning language, which again goes mm-hmm. to the, why are we learning this so late? But a mm-hmm. lot of them struggle with the idea that they can't be as articulate after two mm-hmm. semesters in the target language as they can in their native language. And so they're using translators that for their homework mm-hmm. and they're trying so hard and we have to be like to get your phones away, you know, they like mm-hmm. looking up stuff constantly because they want to be able to speak at this higher level they don't want to sound in their words dumb Mm -hmm. and i keep saying no 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 you have to do the baby german baby german Mm -hmm. you know just second semester don't you know not like they're like well how do i say you know i uh i don't make the effort for blood like no 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 just say i don't do this Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's just stick with that part and i think that is a struggle more with um with uh, people who are adults who think of themselves as adults um, more so, I think, than, than K through 12, yeah. that, that you it's need a, a little bit more humbling experience, stuff. though, for those uh, young adults to to get some empathy for immigrants who come in the, in the country oh, yes. and are treated like they are dumb when they are really quite intelligent, intelligent and mm-hmm. professional, right. but their language limits them to ex- expressing that. Yeah, and I think, I think you can do more intercultural stuff um, I definitely think you can do lots of intercultural stuff at, at, in the target language, mm-hmm. but um, it is good to kind of understand where you, yeah. for, for, especially for us, we have such a range of people coming in right. from different literacies in their first language that that is, it is sometimes hard to teach mm-hmm. a class of people who, you know, are so different um, that I think sometimes it's it's important to do some kind of research and uh-huh. discussion. Um, plus, you know, there's... You know, to try and keep students in the classes, sometimes that makes them want to. But you know, mm-hmm. in the fourth semester German, we we do the whole thing in German, and they learn about World War Two. They have to describe yeah. what happens mm-hmm. at the Potsdam conf- conference in German. Um, they have to describe, so they have to understand certain things, and they have to talk about nostalgia and for the East. And so there's complicated right. stuff that they have to do in the second language. Um, but I feel like we're getting a little bit further now, and we're doing more. Um, reflection uh, beforehand and getting an understanding of mm-hmm. what they know and mm-hmm. what they know about history. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this at you all again because we're on topic, but I want more from you. <laughs> you're walking by a room, you stop, you look in, you're like, hey, it's a German class. How would you know it's a proficiency based teacher? Well, you're gonna see. I hope some daily targets, some can-do targets okay. up on the board that are functional language right. and not related to grammar. Keep on. What else? <laughs> You're going to see kids evaluating each other um, using a rubric, I hope, that would be based on a proficiency uh, approach. Um, you're going to have some explanation from the learner when they're, when they're producing language um, that shows they understand 
the proficiency levels. That takes a teacher who has gone through lots of activities, you know, previously showing them the use of the tools. Um, but if you get to that point, they're actually going to, you know, come to an, a, real, a realization that, oh, I better start talking in sentence length and stop these, you know, phrase um, answer approaches. That's okay. Pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. I would say there's there's probably also just a lot of student talking. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. instead of a, there's not a lecture, you walk by and the students are actively doing things. They're moving around. They're talking to each other. Um, that There's uh, the instructor is more um, going around and helping them achieve the task rather than just telling them something. Um, and there's probably some kind of authentic materials that that they are interacting with, like listening to a weather report and then discussing Mm -hmm. uh, the weather with their their co-students. What is that called? Fellow students. Fellow students, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mitchell. What do you call that? (laughs) Well, you you won't see this all the time as you're going around, but I would hope at some point you would notice some interaction with native speakers. Um, through projects, through correspondence, through, um, you know, video chats, through things that are up on the board that suggest that they've had this interaction opportunity, Um, you know, and and that would be then, I would hope, reflected also in some of those reflection activities that we talked about before. Mm -hmm. So if they've had a video call, you know, they've talked to people about what they're doing on weekends or what their political... um, uh, election was like um, that they can then reflect in English and and you'll see some you know maybe graphing um, of whatever information whatever data they got from that conversation or those projects from both sides comparing how each other thinks also everything would be within a specific context it would be grounded in a cultural context mm-hmm. you wouldn't just have like today we're going to learn how to do you know how to say things exactly it would be okay imagine that you are doing this you know you have mm-hmm. these fictional or real life um uh, tasks um but they would be so, in some kind of real world context yeah and, and some evidence of the uh, problem-based learning problem-based mm-hmm. project-based learning that that is individualized um you know personalized for student choice and voice yeah, yeah. i love it I'm going to slide into the next question. Last one for instructional practices, grammar. <laughs> so what, <laughs> what role does grammar play in a proficiency-based classroom? I, uh, I've been, this is uh, something that people always ask me. So <laughs> um, I quite like the, the idea of focus on form, which is basically that you draw students' attention to structures um, while you're using them. So the grammar comes out of the task, not the other way around. Yes. You decide what kind of grammar do I need to accomplish this task. You draw students' attention to it. Um, You give them multiple examples, models of what the, of the structures. Um, And then you kind of ask them to kind of guess, not kind of guess, you ask them to guess, you know, uh, to um, use the same kind of pattern to create a new utterance that has something to do with themselves. So it's it's a, and then of course you model back the correct. So it's it's the idea of what is it that you need, and then you focus on just what they need to accomplish the tasks and drawing their attention to it. So that's, it's more than 
of the Krashen's idea of just I plus one and kind of they're just going to get it from um, just being exposed to it. It's a little bit more, it's somewhere in between implicit and explicit. You're focusing them on the form, but you're not saying, today we're going to conjugate a verb. Here's a verb table. You know, you're focusing on, okay, look, here I say, I go, but he goes. Okay, what's going on here? I go, he goes. What would you say for, you know, I walk, he walks, you know, you're pointing out patterns um, when you can. And then if there's a different pattern, like today we were talking about I sleep, but in German, um, the vowel changes for the second and the third person. I didn't say, hey, everybody, the vowel changes for the second per- and the third person. I said, okay, ich schlafe, ich schlafe, aber du, it's like you, Schläfst. Wow, okay. Er schläft. Ich schlafe. Er schläft. And then I had them talk about, they had to ask each other because the question was, what, uh, how many hours do you sleep? So they had to say, du schläfst. Wie viele Stunden schläfst du? And then they had to respond, ich schlafe sechs Stunden. I have, I sleep six hours. And that um, that conversation, however, I didn't have to teach them the full paradigm. We didn't mm-hmm. do Fischlaf and Ischlaf. Right. Mm-hmm. We didn't do the whole thing. They only needed those two forms. So that's, and I think, important. You also can let it just evolve by mm-hmm. my need from the student's desire to understand how to do something or how to say something. Um, and, uh, for instance, if you're doing um, a lesson on, um, on foods and... Um, you're talking about recipes and they happen to notice that that verb doesn't look like yeah. all the verbs that they've done, they're going to ask you why, you know, well, why is it like that? And then, you know, you, you, that, you take that opportunity to teach them about that element of grammar. Or if they're uh, watching a, a video or listening to a conference call and then they go back over it again, they try to understand what they're saying, they come upon some phrasing they, that they don't understand then you take that opportunity to explain the various elements. Well, this was a subjunctive because they were talking about it in this time. Mm-hmm. Um, or in the writing, if they're, if they're a proficiency-based classroom and they're writing things and they seem to all be like simple sentences um, and you want them to go on to compound complex and build that paragraph, but they don't know any transitions. Mm-hmm. You know, then yeah. that, you know, they'll start to notice that they're all, why can't I do that? Well, let's take a look at these transitions. And, you know, then when the need comes up, then you teach it. Not you teach it, let's practice it, now put it into your yeah. repertoire. Exactly. I think that's, that's really important. And, it's, uh, and it's, sometimes that's the hardest thing for new teachers because they, they still they have this in their head that today we're going to do the accusative case. Yeah. yeah. And, and my students will then know it. I'm like, no, they won't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a difference Doesn't matter. teaching about language and teaching people to communicate right. using the language. Just a mind shift. It is. You've got to have a purpose. That's why the whole structure of that curricular unit or whatever that you're doing is so important. If you don't have the purpose, that essential question that they're trying to answer, trying to figure out the end of a project, you know, if you don't have that, then they don't have a reason to use the language. And I think but I th- there's something that I think there's like a misconception that a lot of people with a proficiency based approach or the old communicative approach, they thought that we should never, ever, ever teach grammar. This yeah. is idea that grammar should never be in the classroom. Yeah, and I think that that's there's so much research that's shown that that's not the case. Like the focus on form approach is much uh, is much more effective than just expecting them to just get it right. from hearing input and um, that is I think that it's really just it's the mind shift of 
no grammar comes up in context. Mm -hmm. And like today, somebody asked me, well, how do I say in order to? And I'm like, well, here it is. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's in this, this is how you say in order to. And he's like, well, how does that work? So I gave some more examples and it just came up. I wasn't planning on it. I think that might also, I think that can scare people who are at, so teachers who are, say, at an intermediate level sometimes, you know, because they want to prepare Mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be an issue with a proficiency-based approach for them is this fear that the students are going to ask them something that they're not, they've not prepared Mm -hmm. and that they're worried they're going to make a mistake. And so that's something that I think new teachers struggle with a lot um, is, or not new teachers, but teachers who used to have, you know, a very planned out lesson. Now we do this, now we do this. um, This spontaneity of a proficiency-based approach can be challenging. Um, And so that's something where you just have to get over this feeling that you have to know and you have to say, okay, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm going to look it up. And that's, that's hard for people. It's hard for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. One thing about the teaching of the grammar, but there's another thing about grading accuracy. Mm, yeah. Uh, oh, and, and remember that accuracy yeah. doesn't really come into play unless it affects comprehensibility mm-hmm. in, in, or comprehension until the advanced, advanced level. level. Yes. So Say that again. Say <laughs> that again, Jackie. Say that it again. Grammar and accuracy, that accuracy of your grammar does not come into play un- unless it affects comprehension until the advanced level. So, does that mean we accept all kinds of errors, mm, even though you sort of get the meaning? Well, it depends. Yes, if you're just trying to communicate an idea, yeah. You you let that learner use their language with all those errors to communicate that idea, and then you help them figure out you know, how to make it better, how to make it more accurate. But you don't point out and grade on every error, mm-hmm. and you, you encourage them toward that accuracy, just like with a child or with an adult. I mean, don't we all make grammar mistakes at some point? Sure. And it doesn't impede our our communication. It may impede how people perceive us, Mm -hmm. and that's reaching that higher level of of proficiency. You know, it's ironic. For years, you'll hear, you know, I'm sure all of us would say, oh, go on and try. It doesn't need to be right. You know, mm-hmm. don't worry about And then we immediately correct them. Exactly. Like, and we, so, and we read them on it. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, sucker. I will. I have heard, um, it's not really devil's advocate, but I have heard another position of, you know, yes, proficiency means you don't have to be accurate. Mm-hmm. And uh, proficiency would be like you don't do the past tense until the advanced level. But I've heard some people say, "Yeah, but performance." What? You mean you wouldn't have absolute control of it? Of it yes, yeah. within yeah. the sense, yeah. like you don't, you can't expect them to be perfect with the past tense. Right. performance is different, of right? Course. So yeah. then, some people say, "Well, yeah, but performance is different, and mm-hmm. performance mm-hmm. is specifically testing on them, on testing that's them practice and rehearsed, practice right. and rehearsed, and that's also okay." Some mm-hmm. people, you know, argue, you know, performance. It's okay to then correct them on their accuracy for performance mm-hmm. because the idea is that it's correct, supposed to be not grade, right? Yeah, yeah. That's and that's well, some yeah. So that's that's the I've heard both sides, and so um, that you you should be more for performance. I've heard some people say, well, if it's really like if they're writing an essay, you know, then they need to perfect it. They need to, um, and we should. If you don't give them a grade, then they won't they won't do it. 
Um, I don't myself if, if, <laughs> have if any is, classes if like that. If it's an opportunity that you have to edit it and you have time to do it and yes. to look up things, yes. If you don't have time, if it's a spontaneous, you know, yeah. No, I mean, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the kind of rewrites of essays. Like you write an right. essay and then yeah. you're supposed to go home and you're supposed to correct it and look up, you know, what is the past tense of this? Right. What's the verb form? And they're supposed to But, you know, that's, that, so. that goes again to the proficiency-based approach to teaching. If you are teaching in that approach, then you'll have a rubric that is based on mm -hmm. proficiency. Correct. Yeah. And, I know, I know. And if you have that rubric at the novice high or the intermediate low level, it's not going to say accuracy. I know. So, you know. Yeah, the, I'm just, yeah, that's, that's comprehensibility. The, it, it depends, yeah. yeah. So that's the other side that I've heard. All right. Well, the trick oh, of sorry. comprehensibility, though, depends on how complicated your system is. Yeah. True. Uh, you know, Russian has six cases, three different genders. And in some cases, those endings overlap. Mm -hmm. And it is totally incomprehensible to a Russian what you are saying if you cannot control it. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to be able to say, okay, look, there's one different form. We can highlight that. When there are 45 different forms for every single noun, mm -hmm. highlighting it just makes them insane. <laughs> so it, 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 it's very tricky to give a single answer right. to how to approach this. Mm -hmm. And you have to read your class. Um, particularly because uh, highly inflected languages are especially difficult. And this is one thing we don't tend to focus on and I think we need to do better at. Yeah. What is the native language of this pe people you are teaching? Mm -hmm. And what is their experience? Because the, the, that learning that they bring or that syst those systems that they bring with them uh, need to be taken into account, which gets back to Jackie's point that you need to tailor, which is very difficult to do, mm -hmm. uh, especially for novice teachers, mm -hmm. to who's in front of you mm -hmm. and what are their goals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not what your goals are exclusively. Mm -hmm. right? It's not like we're not in the equation, but uh, that, and that's hard to do. It is. And yeah, your expectations of where you, your proficiency expectations after how many years and things like that yeah. is, is very so different. For anybody who's listening, <laughs> It's a step-by-step -step process. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. You take one step at a time. You put one goal out there and you try to meet it. You don't try to change your entire teaching schedule, yeah. you know, every class that you have and do all the perfect right. things. Yeah. It, it will kill you if you do that. I so will yes. say one of the things I love to do when I had student teachers um, and they would have a lesson is almost play a game with them. It was fun for me. I'll that. <laughs> and, you know, they always just teach to the average kid. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, okay how would you have or how will you meet the high needs, the low needs? And you mm -hmm. try to, you know, a student who already knows Spanish and they're in French class and, and we would play the game of taking that same little activity and twisting it, twisting mm -hmm. it, twisting it. And teachers have to be coaxed and co and coached in order to do that mm -hmm. yeah. because yeah. that's a skill. And I heard yeah. you say novice teacher, Jean Marie, and, and you have to help your colleagues build up that. Yes. I've got, I'm going to switch gears. We're going to professional learning. So segueing mm -hmm. into that, I have two last questions, then we're going to lightning round. So <laughs> um, professional organizations. Many of us do not have access to endless funds to join a plethora of professional organizations, even yep. though we would love to. With that in mind, what two, and you're only allowed two, what two organizations or categories of organizations, oh, <laughs> you're welcome, would you strongly encourage a world language teacher to join? I think the local one, the region, the one at your state level yes. Yes. is very important. Yes. 
First, because there will be professional development opportunities. Secondly, you will get the lay of the land. What's going on? Thirdly, you will be able to develop networks yes. that can help you mentor. That, that uh, You can mentor other people. They can mentor you. You can share frustrations, information, all of those things. If you're not a member of the one at the state level, you're really missing the boat. Mm-hmm. And then from there... You have to decide, do I want to do something regional, which you could potentially get to more easily than the national mm-hmm. conferences, for example. Usually cheaper. Usually cheaper. On the other hand, the national organization is going to be setting the tone in your field. But you can get some of that national through to a the, Twitter group. Yes, you yep. can. You know, a Langchat, Langchat. and the Nell. That is right. Hashtag language Langchat. learners. Yep, you yep. can indeed. I think I think that's, that's uh, I would say, one... It also depends on what stage you are. You know, if you're starting out, you're going to get a lot more support from your state organization. um, And they're going to bring stuff to you, like Jackie presents on Actful stuff at our state organization all the time. So if you don't have the money and the funds to go to Actful and be a member of that, um, your state organization, you'll have people there who can spread that knowledge to you. And then I would say the other thing to do is some kind of... Um, group that is a little bit more specific to your interests and needs. And so like you were saying, Nell, um, like early language learning, for me it was IELTS um, for language technology. Um, that gives you something specific about your interests and your needs so you can develop that part of your teacher personality yeah. and you have access to that. It's a little bit more, it's easier to deal with. Um, you have less information coming at you. You have something that's a little bit more relevant to your mm-hmm. interests and your needs. Um, and so that's what I would say. And then once you get to a, a more advanced stage, then, of course, you can add on um, the super regional and, the, and whatnot. Yeah. But I think it is really important to have something that grounds you because there's so much information out there and there's so much there's so much that you can learn and so much that you can so much you can join it's good to have like a small group of people that are focused on the same thing that you are and that could change you know too i have to say i was much more involved almost exclusively with kwla and american association teachers Mm -hmm. of french aatf yeah in the beginning actful for me came later i'm really glad it did yes um, because it gave me a broader perspective and understanding but i needed that initial content um, support with my colleagues of what I was teaching. Yep. Um, but today, you know, I think the Twitter groups. Yeah, we didn't have really Twitter. Help. We didn't have yeah, internet. No, we didn't yeah. have all that. But I do you think you need Skype to be with careful. the teacher of the year and two states over. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think you have to be careful with some of um, of the groups that could be online cohort groups um, because you don't you, you get everybody's opinion, and sometimes <laughs> everybody's opinion is not. A good opinion. Yeah, it's hard um, to filter. Yeah, so you have to be careful with that. All right, I love the answers. One last question. Future of professional learning. What direction do you hope would you like to see professional learning for world languages take in, let's say, the next 10 years? It's got to be personalized. It has to be personalized. It has to be based on your interest, your knowledge. People have to understand what they know and how to find out what they don't know. And how would that happen? Well, I think that's happening in, at least it's happening in districts. Um, I think that that ed camps are in a baby stage. I, again, think you have to be careful with those types of things. That's just like the the Twitter groups. Um, People presenting who want to present 
don't always have the answer of the mm -hmm. most effective way to do it, but there are good exchanges, and it does stimulate thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think it's going more and more in that direction. I don't think we have it figured out yet how to do the personalized uh, professional development, but we're certainly on the way there. Any other thoughts? Hmm. Where we think it will go or where we think it should, should go? Either. Hmm. If I could add one more thing. Go think for it. Thinking <laughs> about the actual um, virtual learning modules. You know, ACFL has presented uh, the opportunity to call on people to go to your state, to your school district, and do yeah. presentations. But now there's a lot of, uh, you know, virtual learning modules. I just did one, Interculturality, three segments that I was told to design with giving information, but then suggesting questions and having people, uh, they offer to schools or groups, PLC groups, uh, to buy and, and play in for everyone in a group and stop, you know, pause and answer questions, have discussions. Um, so you're doing, you know, sort of a, a guided mm -hmm. professional development. Kind of like what KWA does yeah. in the spring, the facilitated ones. I yeah. love yeah. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. I think there'll be more online training more opportunities so maybe even do a master's mm -hmm. online I've, I've been seeing that a couple mm -hmm. uh, a couple people at the new teacher workshop at KWLA last year were doing their master's online and doing all of their teacher training online mm -hmm. um, and then doing and then being in the classroom so they would do the, the, the theoretical part online and then do the physical the, the practical part in the classroom right. um, but they were in they were in areas where they didn't have opportunities to go somewhere else and I think we're seeing more we're seeing less travel, we're seeing less ability for travel, and more people in rural areas that don't um, have access to uh, a, a higher ed with that kind of training are being are exploring more opportunities outside. It's so knowledge think, equity. Yeah, yeah I think is. there's going to be more online things like that. Yeah, um, I think online is a way to also foster what I hope is the future here, um, <laughs> and that is um, real mentoring. I mean, we talk about mentoring a lot, but we don't have good programs in place in many cases. And we can use technology and the willingness to open our classrooms, which I think many of us were like, we're closing the door and you're not going to be the principal walking by and seeing what I'm doing because the door's closed. Um, but what we are doing and the practices that we do across the globe, what are the Spanish in Madrid doing? I can see that. I can interact with people. I can take ideas from them. And it's not a competition anymore. It's a, it's a, net, a mentoring network that really could change uh, how we exchange information mm -hmm. so that it's not a formal presentation by an expert like the one Jackie was talking about alone. It can also be informal uh, exchanges with people who are acknowledged experts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think people don't take advantage of the technology that's right. out there. That's true. And you can, you know, what I was, we were doing a book study in, in Jefferson County on um, making the match, the latest edition of Helena Curtin's Ella Elementary mm -hmm. K-8, which it really goes for K-20, um, you know, a textbook on, on teaching methods. And I thought, well, what am I, why don't I just call her and ask her to Skype in with us or to call in with us? We couldn't, actually, when she called, we couldn't get the Skype to work, so she did, you know, a, it was just a 
a conference call or mm -hmm. called and put on a speaker. Um, and, and everybody was asking her questions directly. Right. We don't do enough of that. You know, we can do it internationally. If yes. you know somebody internationally mm -hmm. that you really like, no cost at that Skype. You know, a little time difference, okay, work it out. Yeah. But yeah. bring that person in. If there's a favorite person that you, you blog with, um, or you read their blog and you really want to learn more about what they're doing, um, I'm thinking the creative language classroom mm -hmm. people, yeah. you know, call them, have them talk to, who, to you personally, to your PLC. Yep, I agree. Seems like collaboration is mm -hmm. the theme you all are saying here. So with that, we are wrapping up the think tank. We're going to quickly go into the lightning round. The lightning round is different. There is no discussion. You can tell each other what a great answer if you like, but there's no discussion. First thing that pops in your head, if you don't have a thought for it, just say pass. You know, it's okay. Um, and these are just meandering thoughts we want from you. Are you all ready? No. <laughs> all right. It's coming, though. The first one's easy. The one place in the world that takes your breath away, no matter how many times you visit it. Oh. <laughs> the Gulf of Finland in St. Petersburg. Russia, not, fin not Florida. <laughs> uh, west coast of Scotland. Uh, sailing around the west coast of Scotland. Mm. The Semi la Mer, the gypsy town. White church, white buildings. Colorful people. I love it. All right. The one must-read book for any educator. Didn't have to be a world language educator. For any educator. Oh, God. I'm not time to think. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to throw one out. Okay. Um, Marzano's book. Of course, I don't remember the title. That where he does the meta-analysis meta of all the high-yield strategies. What effective teaching is. It really gave me the list of what to do. I have a bizarre answer to this. <laughs> um, Can't say your own book. No, okay. no, I don't have a book. Um, <laughs> this is a, a book by Bell Hooks. Oh, uh, what I love about? Her. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's called What About Love. And what I love about it is, uh, it really it talks about. Um, humans and how we all have these desires for love and how if you change your mindset she says which as a linguist it's kind of weird she says love if you stop thinking of love as a noun and you start thinking of love as a verb mm. as something that you mm -hmm. have to continuously do and you have to continuously put love into you like you have to love your students I guess so that would be like you go in every day and you make the decision to love and I think good educators are ones that come in and they make the decision to love their students mm. and their mm -hmm. profession and their colleagues, even when things are rough. And even when the students do things mm -hmm. that make you upset, you decide, no, I'm not going to be mad at this student. I'm not going to take it personally. I'm going to. And that's how I, I think of my students. I think of, well, if my child, if this was my, I'm going to get all teary here, but if I think about it, like, you know, if I, if this were my child in somebody else's class, how would I want, and how they, would you want your child, how would you want that, you know, that child to be treated, even when they did something that you didn't, you know, that you would not agree with, mm -hmm. how would you want that person to treat them? And so, yeah, I think that book for me is like, a, it's a meditation. I read it before I go to bed and, I, and it gives mm -hmm. me like, it gives me... It grounds you. Yes. It grounds you. So, sorry, not very lightning, but... Yeah. <laughs> All right, either of you, Jean-Marie or 
Jackie? Pedagogically, I mean, I, I can't, I'll think of a million things later, but yeah. in anything that's written by David Little or mm -hmm. Ali Moller, you know, on oh, yeah. learner autonomy. Mm -hmm. They're down-to-earth writers. They've got concrete examples. They're succinct in what they're talking about, and they're so on to the idea of enabling the learner. Okay. Metaphors we live by. Oh, there you go. <laughs> like Huff and Johnson. Of course. That's Perfect. it. <laughs> Next question. The one experience every world language teacher should pursue? Living abroad. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was easy. Mm -hmm. Best world language conference or training you have ever attended? OPI training. Yep. Yeah. OPI training. Yeah. Uh, mine was actually that workshop that AATG did. Mm -hmm. Okay. Best non-world language conference or training you've ever attended? Ooh. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> the IASPM, the um, International Association uh, for, or so, uh, and Society for Popular Music. Um, I presented at this conference. It's what a bunch of really nice people. People who study. It's musicology conference. Oh, yeah. And they were so cool. <laughs> that was so much fun. American oh. Folklore Conference. Okay. Yeah. Well, after president, I had the really wonderful opportunity to go to um, Graz, Austria, to the um, ECML, European Conference, that's wrong, Modern Languages. But it's, it's the um, Office of, of European Language Policy, um, and having people from all of the Council of Europe countries come in and talk about what was relevant to them and, and you know, what the experience. Wow. wow. Um, state to watch with regard to world language education? Us. Yeah. <laughs> Kentucky. Yeah. Okay. I, everybody says that, too, so it's, well, I'm not just bragging. Jackie, what, you're going to say another state? I, you know, like, or we already were watched, so somebody knew. Mm. Okay. Somebody knew? Virginia? Well, I, you know, I mean, North Carolina is still there. Utah mm -hmm. is still there, especially with immersion. Yeah. Um, actually, California, um, their, their language so association is fabulous. Mm -hmm. um, Delaware. Delaware. Put a little nod to Delaware. Mm -hmm. You said North Carolina, right? I did. Okay. Best piece, the one piece of advice you would give to a new teacher? Find a good mentor. Okay. Oh, yeah. Fast. <laughs> um, Get to know your students as individuals. It's about the relationship with the human yeah, I before think it can ever be the learning. I always say find at least one thing that really, really frustrates you when you're teaching and get rid of it. Whatever it is that really just makes you angry, you know, um, find a way to change that process because it, that's, that's a burnout thing. So like, I, don't, I don't give tests in the classroom anymore. I do online tests because I don't. I, it just always would frustrate me, and I would get more and more angry that they they didn't know the knowledge and blah, blah, blah. So instead, I open it for two weeks, and they have to keep taking the test <laughs> to show me that they know stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I would say one thing that, I mean, you guys took the best advice already, so that's my, my third, um, <laughs> because I agree with both of those points. But my third point would be, yes, uh, figure out one thing that really annoys you and just get rid of it. And last lightning question. What is the must-follow site, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? What do you recommend people follow? For what purpose? Yeah, you decide. Uh, Let's say for world languages. For me, it's LangChat. 
Yeah, I was about to say yeah. chat. But that's not a site, well, that's a hashtag. Well, that's yeah. okay. On okay. Twitter, Instagram, Inst- anything like yeah. that. Yeah, hash- Langchat. Um, which, yeah, we need more people to help. authentic um, material, I, I recently, I like Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I I'm getting a lot of stuff on Canadian news and yeah. me- yep. Mexican uh, government puts out some wonderful things on, um, uh, what is it, Soy Mexicano in, or Mexicana, and they've got, uh, you know, short videos of people that I mm-hmm. can see used in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Twitter can, definitely. Yeah. And it's quick and easy to look at and say, oh, that'll work. Or mm. Right. <laughs> Yeah. You don't have to spend reams and reams of time online trying to find the right video. You have something right in your pocket that is yeah. either useful or not. Yeah. yeah. Well, this wraps up our roundtable. I want to thank each of you so much. This was very inspiring. Mm-hmm. And if any of the listeners wanted to contact one of you, maybe they heard something you said and they want to kind of just get more of your thoughts or insight on it. Uh, Jean Marie, can you share how to contact you? Sure. The best is email j.r.o.u.h.i.e.r. at uky.edu. Thank you. Brenna? Same email. Not the same email, but the same. <laughs> that would be really funny if everybody's like, hey, Brenna. Everyone in um, UK has one email. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> And it's all Jean Marie's. Yes. Um, I bet that feels like it. It feels sometimes. like it's some ways, yes. Um, my, na- my name, one word, B-R-E-N-N-A-B-Y-R-D, no dots, no underscores, no periods, no nothing. I'm at uky.edu. And Jackie? Okay, get your pens out and I'll go slow. Um, Jackie.vanhouten, J-A-C-Q-U-E dot V-A-N-H-O-U-T-E-N at Jefferson dot K-Y schools dot U-S. And do contact us, call us, email us, ask us to talk to your PLCs, you know. Find us on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Or Facebook. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you all. So I'm going to go into the polyglotting news. We have two things to share. First, from KWLA, they wish to thank all those individuals who made the 2018 KWLA Showcase a success. Students, teachers, sponsors, volunteers, thanks to UK, Jean-Marie, for hosting. And special Mm -hmm. thanks to the Hispanic Studies Department and the Modern and Classical Languages, Literatures, and Cultures Department. Also, please remember to submit conference proposals by May 1 for the 2018 Fall KWA Conference. It will be in Lexington. Proposals can be submitted at, just go to KWA's website. I'm not going to read this. Also, be sure to nominate an outstanding educator, administrator, or advocate for an award for KWA. More information can be found at kwa.org. And finally, from our KDE World Language Consultant, Alfonso de Torres Nunes, the reworking of the state world language standard has been postponed, not his choice, political, and will hopefully resume by late summer. Also, requests are being taken for any school wishing to participate in the Visiting Teachers Program. This program brings teachers from Spain and China to fill a school's need, and not only providing a native speaker of that language, but also an ambassador of the culture to your school. If you are interested, please visit the World Languages page on KDE's website for further information. This wraps up the Roundtable podcast. And again, I'd like to thank Jean-Marie Rouye willoughby Jackie Van Houten, and Brenna Bird for joining me today in the University of Kentucky for providing the technology, location, and broadcasting of our podcast. This is Laura Rocha Youngworth for Language Talk KWLA saying au revoir and happy teaching. <laughs>